For the last two weeks, we have been focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ because resurrection is the focal point of our faith. As I already mentioned before, for the early church, there was no set date for celebrating resurrection on the Easter. In fact, they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ weekly as they gathered to worship on Sunday when Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's why Sunday became the day of worship for Christians. As a matter of fact, in fact, we will talk more deeply about the meaning of uh, the resurrection day, the Sunday, why we come to worship God. Okay? But clearly we know that Jesus has risen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus has risen. Now, what does it, resurrection mean to us as a believers? Why is it so important to our faith? Well, if you recall, um, the resurrection is the ultimate confirmation of Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Jesus already told the people about his death and resurrection. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible points at Jesus, and resurrection is the confirmation of Jesus' divine nature. Jesus is indeed whom he claims himself to be, and he proved it by being resurrected from the dead. Secondly, resurrection is the ultimate completion, not just confirmation of his identity, but also the completion of our redemption through the Son of God. If there is, no, if there is only crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross, there is only death at the end for us. Without the resurrection, there is no life. Jesus said, because I live, you also shall live. So crucifixion brought us forgiveness uh, in Christ, but the resurrection of Christ provided us his life, that we can live a life with him. So the cross is a symbol of forgiveness, while the empty tomb is a symbol of life. Again, confirmation and completion. But I would like to add one more thing today. It's also the resurrection is the ultimate condition of the Christian life. Condition of Christian life. Resurrection has become our daily condition of living. Let me explain this thing to you. But if you look at Philippians chapter 3, the, Paul actually brings, brings us the concept of resurrection to another level. Listen, I want to know Christ, he says, the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and his power of resurrection. He's talking about the power of resurrection being real in our daily lives. Here he say, when he say, I want to know, know, to know here is in present tense, meaning it refers to a continuous action. He's saying, I want to know continuously, daily, Christ as I build a relationship with him. And I also want to know his power of resurrection every single day. He wants to experience the power of resurrection continuously in his daily life. Wait a minute, what does that mean? He's not only talking about the divine power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that will raise the dead at the, on the last day. He's not only talking about that. He's actually talking about the power of resurrected Christ now operating 
in the believer's new life. Amazing. This power enables believers to live a new life on the earth because they have been raised with Christ according to Romans 4, 6, 4. So he's saying this resurrection is a condition of our daily life, meaning it is available to us today, every single day. The power of resurrection of Christ is yours. Wow. New concept for many of us, right? But you might ask, what kind of power is he talking about? The resurrection of power. How do we grasp that? The power of resurrection. Well, the resurrection power is the very power of God who created this whole universe. The resurrection power is the very power of God that sustains the universe right now. The resurrection power here is the very power of God that will fulfill God's will and plan for this world to come. But let me, let's think a little bit deeper. You might say, Pastor, you are talking in in abstract, maybe. What does it mean? Well, at the heart of it, the essence of resurrection is this. At the heart of it, the resurrection of Christ was an act of creation by the Creator. Meaning, the resurrection power was the, the creation power, the power of creation. Let me explain. The New Testament doesn't say, if you read carefully the gospel account, Christ rose from the dead. He says he was raised from the dead, which means God did raise Jesus from the dead. It was God who gave him a brand new body. It was still like the old body visibly, but it was uniquely very different. It still had the nail marks, yes, but God had acted in creative power in the tomb to give a brand new body to Jesus. So the resurrection power was actually the power of creation, creation power. That is why Paul actually explains this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I want you to know the availability of God's incomparably great power for believers, the resurrection power. I want you to know that you have that power in you, the power that God raised Christ from the dead. Wait a minute. What kind of body did Jesus have when he was resurrected? Was it the same body that Jesus obtained from his birth through the Virgin Mary? Did he rise from the dead to get back to old body? These are the questions you might ask. No, it was completely renewed body. When Jesus was dead on the cross, buried for three days and three nights, and when he was raised from the dead by the power of resurrection, the power of creation, guess what? God gave him, God created a new body for Christ. It was a new body. It was not the old body as before. It was the new body. Did you know in the Bible, other people had been brought back from the dead in the old bodies? Only to die again, by the way. Remember Lazarus? We'll maybe talk about it in two weeks. 
We're going to revisit what Jesus has been doing, which we've been doing already in our Sundays. But we're going to go back to what Christ has done. Uh, but one of the powerful things Christ has done is that he raised Lazarus from the dead. He came back to his old body, but later on he died again. So if you visit his tomb, you will say, Lazarus, twice dead, a friend of Jesus. So he experienced death twice, in a way. Meaning when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he raised him to the old body. And now, later on, he got old and he died. Some people were raised from the dead in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but none of them got a new body like Christ. They brought back to old life and they all died again. But Jesus is different here. He came back with the act of creation. He had a new body that could surpass or that, that could pass through walls and locked doors with no difficulties. Read the book of Acts. Jesus was literally Superman. I don't want to use that word maybe because you might be thinking about some characters in the comic books. But Jesus' body was so newly created through the resurrection that guess what? He did not have the limitation that he used to have before the crucifixion. Did you know? So he did some things that they never done before. So in a way, he is the first and so far the last to have this newly created body which has not gotten any older. So you might say, how old is Jesus? Probably 2,000 years ago he was there, so 2021. Maybe this Christmas it will be 2023. Maybe he's, he's, he's 2,023 years old. Well, he got, he got the body that doesn't grow old, by the way. And he, when he died, he was 33, meaning he still has the 33-year-old body in his prime because he wasn't the old body. It was the new body that God created in the tomb. That's the concept. In other words, the very first thing that God made and knew from the old creation was actually Jesus' resurrected body. You know, the Bible says God will, at the end, renew this whole world, right? Everything in it. There will be new heavens and new earth. You'll be new. Everything. This whole universe will melt away. That's what the Bible says. What we see is temporal. It's not millions and millions and millions and billions and billions and will go on and on and on in the process of revolutions. No. There is a clear end of this world, whole universe. It will expire, but it's not going to expire scientifically. It will expire when God says it's time. And when it happens, God said he's going to renew the whole world that is tainted by the sin. But because of Christ, he will renew everything, new earth, new body, new heaven. That is a promise. Guess what? Surely he's working on the new creation today. But guess what? Jesus' resurrection was the very first act of God's new creation work. Isn't that amazing? As he was rose from the dead, as he was resurrected, his resurrection body was the evident. God is working on the new creation right now. It's not done yet. We still have the old world, right? But he's saying, God is saying, you see Jesus? He was resurrected with a new body. You see that? I created that. Guess what? 
the new creation working. I'm working on the new creation. Starting with Jesus. Resurrection. So resurrection is the starting of a new world. New creation. This is how he's called in the Bible. Paul said he's a firstborn of creation. New creation. Yes, he had appearance which they recognized, but it was a new body that was a very, very different and important. And it happened on the first working day of the week, right? Sunday for the Jews. The Jewish calendar, Sunday is the very first day of the week. And that's why we worship as what? First day to celebrate Jesus in his resurrection. That's why we come to worship God on Sunday. We, don't, we are not bound to Sabbath the rest day anymore. You know why? Jesus is our rest. As you celebrate Jesus on Sunday, you get your rest spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every way. That's why we don't follow the Jewish custom of observing the Sabbath anymore. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, all the new, the Old Testament, I mean, the, the, the Ten Commandments was mentioned or continuation of the Old Testament, except one thing, observe the Sabbath. Isn't it interesting? Why? Jesus is our rest. We no longer are bound to observe the Sabbath. Why? God has started a new creation, working on the new creation. And Jesus, the Sunday was, the first day was the one and God's work of creating new things has begun. And Jesus was the starting point. His resurrection was the starting point. And now in Christ, guess what? We are his new creation. That's why Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. Isn't that amazing? He's working on you. He's working on this new creation in your heart. But I want you to see there is a big difference between the first and the new creation. Remember the first creation began with the heaven and the earth in the Genesis chapter 1. Remember that? And he finished with what? Man and woman. In the sixth day, everything was created for the condition for man and woman to live and God created in his image in the last day. Last creation was human, us. That is why there's a huge difference between the animals and human. We do carry the image of Christ, image of God. Now, however, the new creation that God is working on, starting with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the reverse order. He is actually making a new man and new woman first, and then he will make a new heaven and new earth for them to live in in the future. Interesting thought, isn't it? But very powerful thought. Yes, the new earth and new heaven is coming. But first, God is working on your heart, one heart at a time, giving you a new heart, new creation in us. And as we become a new creation, later on when Christ comes back, he's going to bring down the new heaven and new earth for us to live in. Sometimes we call it heaven. But that's the idea. 
See how important the resurrection of Jesus is? Because it's a starting point of heaven. So he's reversed the order, and the whole Bible tells you why. Because he wants you to be in his new creation. That's the amazing truth about the New Testament. And he started with the people this time, and started with his own son in his image. In this time, in the resurrection day, now he's working on all the people who believe in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the resurrection on the first working day of the week tells us that God started to work again on the new creation, and we are living in that right now. And that's our kingdom work on the earth. God is making new men and a new woman in Christ's image. It's possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Think about it. Maybe some of you, for you, some of you, I don't understand. Well, think about it. Okay, you can ask me more questions afterwards if you can't understand. But that's why we are worshiping on Sunday. We are saying that God's back at work for the new creation. He's working in us right now. And let's celebrate. So Sunday is not merely a day of rest anymore. In fact, the most, for most Christians, Sunday is anything but a day of rest. It's more than just rest. It's a celebration day that the Creator is back at work making a new, things new, creating a new people, new heaven and new earth in the future. Wow, let us celebrate. Amen. That's what Sunday is about. But when we come to on Sunday, what do we do? We drag our tired body and mind. Oh, God, here we go again. If the Sunday worship becomes a burdensome to you and you don't want to be here, you might have to check your faith because you do not understand the meaning of Sunday. God is at work creating a new creation right now, starting with you your heart whether you want to be part of it or not it's up to you so when you come to on, come on Sunday to worship the Lord come with the heart of celebration my brothers and sisters of course we need to come and repent of course we come and rest in Christ in the presence of God yes all that but at the end we come out with a celebration that God is working in us through Christ in Christ, that he's making us anew. Amen. Now, how would you respond to this truth as we talked about the essence of resurrection? Now, I hope you understand why it's so important for us to focus on the resurrection of Christ. I hope you understand why it's so important for us to come to Sunday worship to celebrate that truth of resurrection. How would you respond? What is going to change us? How is this new life, new creation in us change our life in our daily life? How should we live then with this resurrection power, you might ask? Christians, we should live in this way. As a matter of fact, if you read the Corinthians passage, 
teaches us that in verse 55 to 57. First of all, we need to live what? Fearlessly in victory. Everyone say victory. victory. What is the ultimate fear of fallen humanity? What is the ultimate enemy of life? Death. All people are afraid of death, including all of us. But Christ has overcome and defeated death through his resurrection. It's verse 54. Death has swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we believe in Christ, if we are his people, I say if, you might be sitting here for many years. You might not be his people. But if you really believe, if you are really here to celebrate his resurrection, if we are his people, we also can overcome death by the power of Christ. Then what shall we be afraid? We shall live fearlessly enjoying victory in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's why the first Christians in the first martyrdom, if you heard about these stories under the empire of Nero, you know, and, 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 and he, in, in the Colosseum, you know, the many Christians were being killed and martyred. You know what? They weren't afraid to die. Death is two Christians is a change of location, nothing more, really if you truly believe in the resurrection of Christ. You know who believed in the resurrection? Even Abraham. Abraham believed that God can raise Isaac from the dead if he actually sacrificed him. That's why he couldn't sacrifice him, because he believed in God that he will raise his son back. Indeed, he did not have to worry about that. Instead of Isaac, sons of, son of Abraham, Jesus, Son of God, was sacrificed for the humanity. But we should not be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. His power is with you. He says, why do you worry about how you're going to live in this life if you truly believe in me? Trust me. I shall provide all the things that you need to see God's kingdom and his righteousness. You just trust in me and live. And Paul says, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. Victory! I know our circumstances, our situation might not be victorious. We might be sometimes bullied by this culture. Sometimes we will be persecuted by the things around us. But remember, we live fearlessly in victory. At the end, Jesus is with you. Yes, things might be taken away from you possibly. Yes, even your life will be taken away from you because of this evil in this world. But take heart. We live fearlessly in victory because he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You see the differently we should operate in life? I'm not expecting non-Christians, people who do not believe in the resurrection of Christ, to live like this. It's impossible for them. They should worry about their life. They should worry about their plan for the future. 
Make sure you get more right 401ks or whatever. Financially, in, in every way, they should really worry about it. But for Christians, ultimately speaking, I'm not saying we should not prepare. We need to manage our wealth. We need to manage our life, yes, because we are still part of this world. In, I mean, in this world, I should say. But ultimately, we should not really worry too much about death. Amen. That's how we live fearlessly, not carelessly. That's a different thing. We are not called to live carelessly. Oh, I'll just, God's going to provide everything. I'm just going to spend all I have. I'm just going to live die by day. No, read Proverbs. You got to work hard. You got to be faithful where you are. You got to take care of your family. You got to produce wealth for your family to, to be taken care of. You got to take care of the community. You got to take care of the church. There's a lot of responsibility we have. So fearless does not mean careless. So we live fearlessly in victory. Ultimately, we are not afraid to die. Ultimately, we are not afraid of this world. That's how we should operate because we are the people of resurrection. Amen. Now, secondly, we live not just fearlessly, but joyfully in thanksgiving. He says, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful? Oh, we are living in the culture of complaints. Complaints. We're living the culture of entitlement. Oh, I should. You sh- I deserve better. No matter what is happening with your lives, my lives, in current circumstances, my brothers and sisters, as we know that we are God's people and what Christ has done for us, that we have the victor in Christ Jesus, we cannot complain. Thanks be to God, he says. Even if the worst thing can happen to us still, we can give thanks to God for salvation and new life in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation, the Bible says, in Christ. You should be thankful. When I say joyful, it does not mean emotional level. We should be always feel happy. No, it's impossible in this fallen world. We will never feel happy all the time. Only way that you can be feel happy consistently is when you go to heaven or when finally the new creation was done. You will be always be happy. But joy is a different thing. We are not called to be happy all the time, 24-7. It's impossible. But we are called to be joyful. No matter what happens, we can be still joyful. That's the difference. But the point that I want to make is it's not just emotional level here. That from the bottom of our hearts, even though outside all the crazy things are happening to us and happening around us, we can still be thankful, joyful. That's why the life of gratitude is a mark, a significant mark of a Christian. So if you are complaining about your husband, complaining about your wife, complaining about your kids, complaining about church, complaining about your work, complaining about everything, complaining about your government, complaining about everything that is around you, again, check your heart. Check your heart. You know, I cannot stand those who always complain and bash their spouse to the people around you. In this church, that would not happen. If any one of us caught somebody in this church talking bad about their spouse, 
Stop them immediately. Don't worry about their feeling getting hurt. Say, hey, stop, please. Very important. We need to keep each other accountable. Amen. If anyone start complaining about and bashing the family of Christ, stop them. It's okay to stop them. Amen? But we live joyfully in thanksgiving. Just think about for this moment. God saved you. Saved me. God is leading us. God is with us. He loves you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you if you trust him and give your life to him. We live joyfully in thanksgiving. Thirdly, we live unswervingly in faith. He says, In therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. We must stand firm in faith. I kind of mentioned it last week in, our sermon, in my sermon. You can revisit. But one thing that we need to understand, if you truly understand that you are the people of resurrection of power, you can stand firm in your faith. It is not easy to keep being faithful, I understand. It's very hard for us to be patient, but that's what Jesus taught us. He told us to, he taught us to be patient even through his burial, remember? Jesus had to be in the heart of the earth, in grave for three days and three nights until due time. We need to learn to be patient until God's time. Till then, be faithful, be patient, persevere. And the Bible says, stand firm. Don't move. Oh, so many times, so many Christians today in this culture, we are shaken by the cultural ideologies so easily. We change our stance on what the Bible says just because the pressure from the outside. The Bible says, Therefore, if you are the people of resurrection power, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Amen. Stand firm. There is no retreat. There is no turning back. Either you believe in the Bible or you reject the Bible. Let nothing move you. I think I said it last week, but our problem is not the availability of power, but the allowance of deception in our lives. That's what happens. It's not that God is not giving you enough power to operate. God has given you the power of resurrection. I already mentioned that. I already argued that. I already taught you that in the beginning of the sermon. But the problem then we face in our daily life is that we allow this deception to come into our mind. We allow this, uh, the cultural ideologies into our mind and start to dictate. Let it dictate our lives. That becomes a problem. That's why during the COVID and during all kinds of crazy social 
chaos, I remember I said, we cannot let the political ideologies to govern our lives. We cannot let political ideologies to override our biblical theology. We cannot. Let nothing move you. Be alert. Be alert. Let nothing move you. Amen? Now, move on. Last but not least, if you are the people of resurrection power, we live fully for the kingdom of God. He says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your life is not in vain. It's not meaningless, my brothers and sisters. He said, because you are redeemed, because you have the power of resurrection, now you live fully for one purpose, not for your American dream, not for your kids, not for your spouse, not for your career. No, for what? Fully to the work of the Lord. If you're living for your family members, your life is in vain. If you're living for your own career, your life is in vain. Oh, I can boldly say that. But if you're living for something eternal, like the kingdom of God, like God's glory, like God, Oh yeah. You're not in you're not in your life is not in vain. What will last forever? God and his word and his people. So we live fully for what? For our American life, American dream? No. We live fully for the kingdom. That's why we are being faithful today as a citizen of this nation, as a family member of your own family, as a member of this church, as a member of this, this community, whatever. You live not for what's in this world, but we live for the kingdom of Christ. Everything that we do becomes kingdom work. It's for God's glory, for Him. Why do we love one another? So that He can be glorified, that we Receive God's love and grace and forgiveness. Therefore, we love other people as well. You see? Why do you make money? Not just to, so that we can just feel comfortable in our nice suburban life, but to be equipped to be ready to serve the kingdom of God as we help build the church, as we reach out to those who are in need so that the, the gospel message can be preached. Why are we being educated so that we can feel good about ourselves and make name for ourselves and make many journals and articles and make name for yourself in academia or academia? No. So that you will be able to participate in kingdom work wherever God leads you to do his work. Your job family, even your kids. You know, parents, please do not ever live for your kids. Your kids is not the object of your purpose. Never. They're not number one. They are probably number two. Number one, God. 
As a matter of fact, being a good father, being a good mother, being a good parents, helping and uh, providing, it's all part of the kingdom work. We do it for God's glory, for God's kingdom. That's what we're called to do. Interestingly, he says, always give yourself fully, not half-heartedly, fully to the word, uh, to the work of the Lord. Whatever that you do for the Lord, raising your family in a godly manner, building this church together as one body of Christ, do it fully with everything that you've got. Why? Because we know what we do in this life for Christ is not in vain. Why? Because we're people of the resurrection power. We're not wasting our time here. We are worshiping. Amen. If you have this clearly, guess what? You will never have midlife crisis. <laughs> right? You're too busy to have. You, you're, you're too focused to have that. Why? Our life is not just for me, for us. It's for Christ. Again, you're getting old physically. It's okay. Time will come, you will have your resurrected body. Time will come, you will be as beautiful as God intended you to be. You see, we live differently. We live fully for the kingdom of God. Amen. It is my prayer, all of us, all of us, we will, with the power of resurrection, continue to live for God. Especially as we celebrate our anniversary what a powerful message for all, the, all of us as a church. We start another year. We are continuing to serve the Lord, building the church together. And together we will expand God's kingdom one heart at a time. As God is working on one heart, new creation one heart at a time. It is my prayer. Petra, all of us, we will be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit in the power of resurrection, that we will continue to live for Christ. Amen. Let's pray.